Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Welcome to the Jenna Ellis Show, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Visit LegacyPMInvestments.com. That's LegacyPMInvestments.com. As a constitutional law attorney, former senior legal advisor and personal counsel to President Donald J. Trump, Jenna Ellis believes in the rule of law and the importance of integrity in our elections. And she's ready to tackle the big cultural and legal issues facing America. This is the Jenna Ellis Show. Here is your host, Jenna Ellis. Legacy Precious Metals is the company that I trust to give you good and patient counsel for investing in your retirement. The Biden administration has caused a financial crisis and they have no clue how to fix it. Oil prices have skyrocketed and when oil prices go up, not only do your expenses go up, but the cost of transportation and shipping spikes, leading the prices of goods to rise. And when and we are already seeing record inflation. That's the last thing that we need. Our economy is in trouble, and you need to take steps to protect yourself. If all your money is tied up in stocks, bonds, and traditional markets, you may be vulnerable. So gold is one of the very best ways to protect your retirement. No matter what happens, you own your own gold. It's real, it's physical, and it's always been valuable since the dawn of time. Call Legacy Precious Metals today at 866-528-1903 or visit them online at LegacyPMInvestments.com. That's LegacyPMInvestments.com where you can download the free investor's guide. You can also go to my Facebook page, Jenna Ellis. I am a public figure on Facebook and I just posted yesterday a really great interview with the president of Legacy Precious Metals who is discussing why you need to start your retirement account even if you're in your your 20s or 30s. There is always a great time to protect your retirement and invest just like you want to protect your health over the long term. So go to Legacy Precious Metals at LegacyPMInvestments.com or call 866-528-1903. Hey friends, and welcome to another episode of the Jenna Ellis Show. And hey, we are back for part two because I was saying, Micah, we should have you back on to talk about crypto. We're just going to do that for part two because cryptocurrency is something that I think a lot of people don't understand, want to understand more, and also kind of want to be able to dialogue about it. Um, Some of my uh, follows on Twitter and people who are in kind of this space are asking that question, okay, what is cryptocurrency? So Micah Bach, who is my director of operations, also you know him as a TPUSA ambassador. He did comms on the Hill for a number of members, um, also is very much into this crypto space. So we decided just to continue the conversation. So what is cryptocurrency? Sure. Well, I think I'll start by describing it by telling you how I got into the space in the first place. Uh, And it was a number of years ago, a friend of mine called me up on the phone one night, and we were talking about how frustrated we were with uh, the fact that it it seemed like every part of our society, 
had more control from outside sources being exerted on it. And we were looking for a way to really break free from that. And he started talking with me about this new type of technology called blockchain technology. And the way he described it to me and the way I'll, I'll describe it to you is essentially think of a very large ledger or spreadsheet that records transactions, that records who sends money to who and the dollar amount. And that's essentially just the, the basis of blockchain is that it is a series of transactions that are recorded in a public ledger that are then decentralized across a very large community and network of nodes or servers or computers that hold a record, an immutable record of those transactions. And so what what this system really does is it decentralizes a uh, the process of finance so that whenever someone conducts a financial exchange, that information is stored across hundreds of thousands depending on the blockchain, millions of computers, millions of, of servers to create a record that is not able to be changed or hacked uh, in spite of enormous effort to do so. Mm -hmm. So a couple of things that you said there, um, one of the keywords is public, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's part my understanding is that's part of why it is an immutable record, because since everybody has access to it, anybody could see modifications, almost kind of like Wikipedia. Right. Yes, absolutely. So the beauty of it is, you can go. You not can go. that I'm not that I'm advocating for Wikipedia. Just saying, like if you go and look at my profile, somebody really it's a hit job and it makes me laugh. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> well, you're absolutely right. Is that the fact that it's a public ledger and the fact that it's decentralized uh, allows any individual, you or me, to go and look at a series of transactions that have occurred in the last ten minutes in the last hour and see whether or not you see discrepancies between those transactions. Mm -hmm. And the way you would spot discrepancies is by comparing those transactions to another record of that same ledger, another node, another server that has those that public ledger as well. So the only way to theoretically hack a blockchain or to, uh, to supplant the security of one is to do something called a 51% hack, where you go to the nodes, the servers, and you're able to co-opt over 50% of them. Mm -hmm. Because in order for the next block on a chain to be scrutinized and declared correct and legal in keeping with the way the chain's been operated, Operating mm -hmm. is for a consensus of those servers to look at the hash transaction that occurred. And I know I'm using a lot of technical terms, mm -hmm. but to look at that transaction and say, yes, this matches what we have in our records. Mm -hmm. Think of it like... So if you've changed 50, over 51%, then mm -hmm. you can say, okay, all of these other copies then are fake, where those might actually be the real ones. Correct. So think of it, think of it this way. Say you have 100 accountants that are looking at a business transaction that takes place. You need 51 of those accountants to agree that the business transaction that took place is correct and matches their records. I thought it was four out of five, Dennis. But <laughs> there you go. Okay. There you go. But in the same way, using the beauty of, of the blockchain technology, you need 51% of the nodes on the network, the servers on the network, to agree that the transaction that took place matches their records and matches mm -hmm. what occurred on their servers uh, or, or on their public ledger, right? Mm -hmm. And so that creates that a decentralized system of security that is incredibly, incredibly difficult to crack and can only only be cracked if you're able to co-opt over 51% of the At network. At the same time. Correct. Right. So how mm -hmm. many, so we're talking about 100. Mm -hmm. What are, where are the public ledgers in terms of, I mean, are we actually talking about hundreds of thousands or? We, we are, in fact, we're talking about more than a million when it comes to Bitcoin. There are more than a million different nodes across the world. So in order to hack the Bitcoin network, mm -hmm. you would need to co-opt an innumerable, in a, a infeasible amount of mm -hmm. different uh, different servers. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, there was a, an article that was published recently that uh, that they analyzed this, and they said that the only way that that could happen is using quantum computing mm -hmm. and high level quantum computing that won't be even. Uh, 
invented according to their projections for for over 150 years. So at, at this current state, blockchain technology is the most secure way to conduct a financial transaction, especially on large scale networks like Bitcoin and like Ethereum that have more mass adoption. Okay, and so then the other part, though, of this being public, a lot of people then become concerned about privacy because mm-hmm. that's part of what, you know, your financial transactions, a lot of people don't want that to be in a so-called public ledger. Mm-hmm. So what's the cost-benefit there? Sure, so that's another beauty of blockchain is that it's also anonymous. Even though the ledger is public and you can view the transactions, those transactions aren't individuals' names. It's not your street address. It's not your social security number. What it is is a wallet code or a wallet ID. So what you would see in the in the ledger is this wallet code sent money to this wallet code. Now, you have no idea who owns those wallets, and there's no way for you to ever know who owns those wallets. So when I conduct a, a, an interaction or a transaction on the blockchain network, whether that's through Ethereum or Bitcoin or whichever one I decide to use, no one, uh, unless someone knows my wallet's identity, they will never be able to link that transaction back to me. And so that's the anonymity that blockchain can provide, and that's why it's being used mm-hmm. in areas like China, now in some sense in, in Canada, and other societies where they are silenc- silencing individuals for differences of opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, and so, but somebody would have to know eventually who holds the wallet in the sense of like, you know, a bank account, you know, Mm -hmm. if somebody just says, okay, here's a Chase bank account and it's, you know, 10 or 12 digits or whatever it is, obviously if somebody just looked at that number, they wouldn't associate it readily with one specific individual, Mm -hmm. but the government probably knows that, right? Because of centralized banking. And so where are the people who actually then match and and un- crypt, if that's a word, um, you know, or decrypt the wallet to the individual. Sure. So the difference between centralized banking and uh, decentralized finance in that sense is the organizations that know your bank account number are, say, for example, Chase Bank or whatever bank you decide to use and the federal government based off of your tax information. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, yes, you are identifiable based off of that bank account number. However, in decentralized finance, there is no centralized service that gives you a bank account number. You, you can create your own decentralized wallet yourself. And so when you ask who is the individual decrypting in your terminology, those, uh, those, uh, those numbers, it's you. Mm-hmm. You're the one that, that finds your friend's Bitcoin wallet and, or they give it to you, right? Mm-hmm. They give you the, hat, the, the code for it. And then you are sending money directly from you to them and vice versa. There is no intermediary. There's no one in the middle. So there's no centralized institution that has granted you a wallet or granted you um, access to the system, as it were, because that's, that's the key issue with centralized finance is that in a certain sense, it's a pay-to-play system. In order to mm-hmm. set up a bank account, you have to have a certain amount of money. You have to put money Should into the ID. game. Huh. Ex- exactly. Yeah. Totally racist, guys. Don't need to do that with Bitcoin technology, with mm-hmm. decentralized finance and with blockchain technology. Hmm. So then obviously that makes the government very nervous because they can't, um, there's no one entity that then has control of or understands and sees the entire picture, mm-hmm. right? So there's not one individual ledger or entity that holds the true identification of all of the wallet holders. Well, correct. Yes, every wallet is anonymous. So there's no way, unless I proffered that information, for anyone to to link my wallet to me, unless they've conducted a transaction with Mm -hmm. me. So my security is in my own hands, not in anyone else's. And my ability to conduct transactions is also in my own hands. And yes, that represents a serious threat to centralized finance and by association, centralized government, federal Mm -hmm. government. Um, And that threat's been realized. That's why you see in China, they've completely banned crypto uh, cryptocurrencies across the board uh, because they understand that if you allow individuals to make decisions off of 
a independent uh, basis without government intervention, without government oversight, you empower them to exercise radical freedom. Mm -hmm. And once you do that, the systems of communism, the systems, the shackles of control just break down and they break down really, really quickly. So they are attempting to keep individuals within the regime from utilizing this technology. Mm -hmm. Uh, But fortunately, because it's anonymous and because it's decentralized, it's incredibly hard to stop. And Mm -hmm. good luck with that. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the governments across um, different countries and certainly here in the United States, depending on, you know, who's in control. And this is why elections matter. But of course, they're going to try because government thinks that and operates in the establishment, you know, or in the DNC and all of these people who think that government looks out for you and is in their best interest. Right. Um, They are going to want to exercise oversight because they think that they have to for some greater purpose to make Mm. sure that everything is operating and consumer protection and all of these other things, where a lot of conservatives who've seen the abuses of that type of oversight and that oversight really isn't oversight anymore, it's control, they want to be able to exercise that type of radical freedom. And that also doesn't mean that if there is some sort of um, transaction that is abusive or, you know, of course there will be harm um, perpetuated to different individuals, it doesn't mean that there aren't any legal remedies. It just means means that the government isn't a necessary party to the transaction. Right. Exactly. that's, I think, a big deal. And the legal remedies definitely do exist. Uh, For example, uh, a while ago, there was a hack of an oil pipeline in the United States. Uh, And I I believe it was, I forget the name of the pipeline, but the the hackers requested the ransom service, uh, the ransom payment in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And so theoretically, that's anonymous, right? You don't know who received those funds. However, in order to receive that money, the hackers had to provide their wallet address to the oil company. And so the FBI, obviously, with the oil company, got access to the address that the hackers had. And once they knew that address, they were able to look at other in the public ledger other transaction that those hackers had transactions that those other hackers had 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 with other people and create a a association mm-hmm. with different wallets and based off of the knowledge they had of other people's wallets they were able to go find that hacker's computer steal their uh, steal their password for lack of a better term mm-hmm. uh, and take that bitcoin back so the systems of sleuthing that exist within the current system of uh, federalized uh, uh, law enforcement can still be used if there is a bad actor, for sure. But what because, it, because necessarily you're you are counting on the cooperation of the harmed individual. Correct. Right. Correct. So rather than the government being able to just go and spy, like you know, say on Donald Trump in the Trump Tower, right, and right. uh, without um, a warrant or without any justification, they're having to. Uh, necessarily depend on the cooperation of the person who has been victimized, which is actually a better way to do it. It absolutely is. And and that's the beauty of this financial system is that it empowers both parties, mm-hmm. right? It no longer empowers a central third party to take control over your finances. You control what you do. The other side controls what they do. And to, together, collectively, you can work together. But you don't have to rely on a, an amorphous large organization that exerts large amounts of control over what you're deciding to do with your money. Hmm. And so the other question um, that I see all the time on Twitter and, you know, some of what people have asked me is, um, okay, what about the valuation? Because Mm. obviously Bitcoin, when it started out, you know, people were changing one Bitcoin for a pizza is like the famous example. And now, you know, they're worth so much more than that. 
Um, what about valuation when it's not necessarily dependent on centralized banking and mm -hmm. that comparison? Well, let me ask you this question, Janet. What what creates the valuation for the U.S. dollar? Is it linked to a gold standard? Is it linked to moon rocks? Like how do we <laughs> how do we value our our currency in today's mm -hmm. society? And the answer is it's entirely based off of perception and uh, based off of rarity, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, just like any sort of consumer product, right? I mean, the mm -hmm. value is what what anyone's willing to pay for it. Exactly, and some of the benefits of blockchain technology, Bitcoin, for example, in comparison to fiat currency or the U.S. dollar is that there is no centralized entity that is able to print Bitcoin, mm -hmm. right? In the same way that the Federal Reserve can print as many dollars as they want. For example, the, uh, the COVID payments that so many people across the United States got, that didn't come from your tax dollars. That came from a printing press. And we're going to reap the benefits benefits the of yeah. the harms for sure of uh inflation or uh, or hyperinflation of u.s currency mm -hmm. right but with, we're already seeing today mm -hmm. yeah but the beauty of bitcoin technology and blockchain technology is that that can't occur because the way the blockchain is set up uh is is immutable there will be 20 uh, there will be over 20 million bitcoin created uh however once that amount is reached no more Bitcoin can ever be made. So there's a rarity concept that is most closely analogous to gold. So mm -hmm. we, we value gold because it's rare. It's also pretty, but it's it's mostly rare, right? Mm -hmm. And in the same way, Bitcoin is rare. So the but two, is it pretty? I, I would consider it very pretty. Okay. <laughs> but, but, the, but the two factors here are, do people trust its usage? Do people assign individualized value to it? Mm -hmm. And then is there a rarity concept associated? And the answer with Bitcoin is yes, there's both of those. Now, with other crypto technologies, other crypto blockchains like Ethereum, like Polygon, uh, other ones that, that fulfill a currency role, mm -hmm. they also will fulfill other functions. And you can assign value to those functions too. For example, Ethereum was one of the first blockchains, if not the first to institute something called smart contracts, which is the ability to uh, essentially build decentralized applications on their own platform. So you can create, uh, you can take out a loan, you can take out a mortgage, you can do any type of financial action that you would have done on the current financial spectrum on the blockchain. And of course, there's value associated with being able to perform those functions in a secure way. Hmm. Yeah. And so, so what about the differences between, cause Bitcoin is obviously the most famous, I think, or the most, um, you know, the, the most name recognition, sure. but, um, you were talking about Ethereum, you're talking about some of these others. And so where, uh, is there a competitive advantage between, um, the different valuation systems or how do people looking to maybe start investing in crypto make those determinations? Sure. Yeah. So Bitcoin is most well known and probably has the highest valuation because, uh, mainly it was the first, it was, it was, uh, the flagship as it mm -hmm. were for a cryptocurrency. Ethereum came on, uh, relatively soon after, and these other blockchains have, have started up as well. A few others are Cardano. Uh, there's the Binance smart chain. Uh, there's Solana. There's a ton in the same way that there are a ton of stocks in the stock market, mm -hmm. there are a ton of different blockchains that you can get invested in, that you can put your money into their tokens, into their currency, mm -hmm. uh, and you can watch the projects that are being built on them in a very unique way. It's like watching AOL or Google or Apple start to build their own infrastructure mm -hmm. on the technology that we call the internet today. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very unique and it's, a, it's, it's very, very cool to see that happening. Mm -hmm. So something that, uh, that every investor really should, I guess, keep in mind if they're looking to get involved in this is that you are essentially in the wild west of finance right now. Mm -hmm. Like this is cutting edge stuff. This is uh, not necessarily your, your father's stock market por portfolio. And so there's a lot of risk with mm -hmm. each project. Some may do well, some may not. Mm -hmm. You know, no one, no one uses Bing, 
right? Everyone <laughs> uses Google. Right. Uh, you don't want to invest in the Bing, right? Yeah. But you totally but how do you, But how do you know? And that's where, mm-hmm. you know, you have to take maybe some of those risks. And that's why, um, for example, you know, Legacy Precious Metals is actually one of the sponsors of my show. And one of the reasons that I love um, talking to their president, um, Charles Thorngren, and he comes on often is because he always talks about diversifying your portfolio. And mm-hmm. I learn a lot from him, honestly. I mean, not just because he's a sponsor of the show, but because, um, you know, he actually is someone who has gotten into that space because he wants to help people with their portfolio. And one of the things that he always talks about when he's on is saying, you know, you need to be investing and diversifying. And so, you know, it's not just about the gold and precious metals. They also do cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. They also do all of these other different sort of diversifications. So I think a lot of people have this perception that cryptocurrency is then where I need to just go completely. And that's probably, I mean, you know, I'm not a financial expert. Don't take my financial advice for things. But what I've learned from other people and what I'm hearing is that you still want to maybe add that to your portfolio, but you don't want to necessarily have that as the single, just like you wouldn't probably put all of your money in one single stock. Yeah. Look, look I'm a retail investor in the same way that you are, right? I, d- I don't claim to be an expert on what you should or shouldn't invest in, nor would I. But what I see is the beauty of this technology is in its ability to to free the individual to make their own financial decisions. Mm-hmm. And as a, a an individual in the conservative movement, I see the benefit for, uh, for Republicans, I see the benefit for libertarians, for conservatives as a whole, when it comes to how, uh, how we want to approach the issues of today, especially mm-hmm. the centralization of control in the financial sector and uh, in the governmental sector. So when I look at crypto currencies and I decide what I want to invest in. Number one, I'm looking at, does the technology provide a function? Does Mm -hmm. it provide a use aspect for an individual or for an institution? Mm -hmm. And then I'm... Same way I look at a handbag. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, But but then I'm also looking at, you know, the project and what do they claim to be attempting to do and do other people in the space support that project? Do the Mm -hmm. experts support it, right? So in the same way that you would look at a stock and consult, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, Fox Business or another institution for advice on what you should or shouldn't invest in, Mm -hmm. do your own research. Take the time to read their white papers and engage in a discussion about each each Mm -hmm. specific token before investing in it. But understand that because this is new technology and this is a nuanced market, there's going to be higher risk associated Mm -hmm. with it. But that's the whole point, like what we were talking about yesterday with Mm -hmm. liberty and freedom. You know, I mean, and so this is where there's kind of this maxim of, you know, the market will solve itself and solve the problems. And it's a little overly simplistic sometimes as applied to all of these different concepts. I think people kind of take it out of context just to make fun of it. But truly that maxim really means when you're looking at decentralization, when you're looking at all of these options in the new frontier, this is why this innovation and this Mm. entrepreneurship is so incredibly fascinating. It's because, you know, mankind has always said, we want to sit out and discover and have more adventures and have more opportunity and be able to then go into the next generation in whatever field we're talking about. And that's where I think stuff like this is really incredibly fascinating to learn about and understand because that's exactly what all of these people who are trying to develop this technology and participate in it are trying to advance liberty through this new option. And options are always a great thing. I am always a fan of options. 
Absolutely. I, I think that's what separates uh, the U.S. financial system from, from any really that has come before is the ability for an individual who has a great idea, a great concept to go and achieve that concept with very few restrictions about how they go about it. Mm-hmm. Right. And as centralization has kind of creeped into the market and more regulation has, we've seen innovation be stifled yeah. and we've seen our the devastating impact on our economy of centralized organizations who run everything. Mm-hmm. Right. And when supply chains fail, when things happen in a way that we don't expect them to, everything crumbles, mm-hmm. right? So you have to look for a system that encourages innovation, mm-hmm. that encourages individuality and entrepreneurship, and takes those bright ideas that America has been known for. Our greatest export has always been our ideas. Mm-hmm. It's not anything else. It's it's the ideology that America provides that we've mm-hmm. exported across the world to great effect. That is the American dream. Exactly. And Bitcoin and cryptocurrency while Bitcoin and that concept didn't necessarily originate in the United States, it has been weaponized by the American people and by American in investors in, yeah. a very, in a <laughs> yeah. very good way to promote individual freedom because it mm-hmm. fits into our ideology. Mm-hmm. It fits into this concept that, yes, I get to decide what I want to do with my money. I am able to make that decision much better than mm-hmm. any centralized institution or any government ever will. And so put the money back in my hands and watch me go work. And that is the whole concept of ownership. Mm-hmm. And when you actually have ownership over your decision making and your finances and your, you know, how you raise your kids and how you, what job you want to, um, to go and participate in that encourages and fosters passion for what you're doing. And that type of ownership is so important that you don't see in other sorts of regimes where you're giving over all of your rights and liberties and, um, everything else over to the government that then says, okay, this is how we're going to decide to spend your money for you. Mm -hmm. And they have no risk because there's no ownership in the government. And they just say, well, this is a bunch of somebody else's money that we're going to go and take and use however we want to. And so they don't feel that sense of risk. And that's actually a really good thing to feel that sense of risk. And the best companies have always said, you are allowed to fail. And the best, I mean, whether this is in the art and entertainment world, whether it's in innovation, whether it's in entrepreneurship or free enterprise, there's always this challenge of saying, go pursue your dream. You may fail along the way or even fail up, but that's the whole idea of making sure that capitalism and wealth grows. And there's this whole idea as well with capitalism that, you know, the, uh, the socialists are saying, you know, well, this is such a bad idea and they're down on capitalism because they have this false notion that wealth is scarce. And that if, if one group of individuals or, um, you know, a number of people attain wealth, then that necessarily means that other people won't be wealthy. But in a truly free market capitalist society, the more wealth you create, there's now more of a surplus and you can then hire more people and you can give them opportunities and you can develop them. Mm -hmm. And so there's this false notion of socialism that wealth is um, somehow this limited resource where capitalism is actually the entirely opposite concept. Right. And it's interesting because if you want to talk about disparities in wealth and disparities in earnings across the history of the United States, the greatest wealth gap that we have had in this country is right now. But it's also the time period of the greatest regulation we've had of our economy. Mm-hmm. So if we want to talk, talk about encouraging individuals and encouraging op- entrepreneurship and allowing anyone to to really seize their own ideas and make something of themselves, it's about mm-hmm. eliminating restrictions. And that will decrease the wealth gap. And it did in the United States. It's only once we really limited the market and limited ability the ability of people to innovate mm-hmm. that, this, uh, that those who had already innovated suddenly were the only ones that could do 
do something new, Mm -hmm. right? Once Facebook was already a large company, suddenly it could silence out other companies. Mm -hmm. But if you had created a system where other companies could always compete with Facebook without those regulations, without those standards that prevent entrepreneurship, then you would have a system where maybe we wouldn't have this totalitarian, large, big tech issue of Mm -hmm. silencing of individual voices. Yeah, absolutely. And this is where as conservatives, we always need to question the status quo and we need to question the even the idea of restriction. Now, some restrictions may have in the very beginning of you know consumer protection or of government oversight or some of these things may have had some legitimacy in terms of their policy decision making. But we always have to also look at the ex ante, like what actually happens, what's the effect. And there are a lot of actually judges who kind of that's their paradigm of uh, determining the outcome is. And this was actually one of the things um, you know that several of the Supreme Court justices were known for, not so much pragmatism, but what's the actual effect of this decision. And some of those things, I think, as conservatives, you know, while we can talk about the judicial paradigm in a separate context, we as conservatives definitely need to be concerned about the ex-ante principle and what is the actual net effect of some of these Um, regulations and other laws and things that are in place because they can be abusive. And I totally agree with Justice Gorsuch, who has this principle of saying we need to deregulate and there is too much of the administrative state. That's where we get the whole deep state and people who are controlling a lot of the freedom and liberty and the genuine opportunity that Americans should have, but they're so stifled by all of the regulation that really is unnecessary because what is it actually advancing? What is the legitimate rationale? Just because we've done that Um, for, you know, let's say 20, 50, 80 years, that doesn't necessarily mean that there is a legitimate justification or we shouldn't revisit it. Right, absolutely. And I think that one of the fundamental differences between your my ideology and, and maybe an individual on the left is that we as uh, uh, as conservatives believe that, you know, men are fallen creatures, right? And that if you give an individual power, at some point, they're going to abuse that power, right? And whereas individuals on the left would rather say that if you take the collective group of individuals, there is good there and that humanity is always searching for something greater, is always working to improve themselves. And unfortunately, the evidence of history lends itself to the opposite conclusion, that in every society, whether from Rome all the way through the United States, when you give an individual or you give an organization power, at some point, they are going to abuse it. Mm -hmm. And so if we can decentralize that power Mm -hmm. and give it back to each and every person, to you, to me, to our children, then that creates a system where we can limit the ability of bad men to Mm -hmm. do harm. And that was exactly President Trump's paradigm in approaching um, decentralization, federalism, and actually returning power to the American people, because as an entrepreneur himself, he understood that and he wanted to have more freedom of choice and freedom of liberty. And some of my most um, fascinating conversations with him and some of you know my best memories of, of working with him um, were these conversations that we would have about you know the Constitution and how the framers set it up with exactly the mentality that you just described, Micah, where they were saying, we have to separate powers. We have to make sure in a federalist system, we don't have a strong national federal government. They wanted state sovereignty. They wanted to have local control so that people um, in power were accountable to their constituents. And truly, we had a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And there has been so much, um, partially because of the media narrative, partially because of the regime, and partially because you know citizens have just been lazy, honestly. I mean, we have to take control back of our own freedom and say we have the responsibility, we have the ownership, going back to what we were talking about, we have the 
ownership of our country as well. We have ownership over our government. And so we have to be good stewards of that government system and make sure that we are protecting the separation of powers and this federalist system that our founders gave to us, because that is truly the best way to make sure that we're protecting individual liberties and freedoms for the next generation. We can't, cannot ever say, okay, well, we're trusting on big government to solve all of our problems. And that's where the left wants you to buy into that idea. They want you to buy into the security of government parenting. Because all of us can remember, you know, did I have as many worries and concerns when I was growing up living with my parents who took care of me, decided things for me? No. But at the same time, I didn't have the decision-making, the freedom and the ownership of adulting, right? And you're supposed to grow into that. And when we allow the government to parent us, not only does that take away our freedoms and liberties, but that makes us dependent on them. And we need to seek independence in that way. And that's why I'm so grateful to see so many of the common average Americans like you and me that are stepping up and saying, I want to run for office. I want to be part of the government. I want to exercise um, my ability to vote. There's so many more voters because of President Trump now in America. And that's why the Democratic left is having to do this big push to say, oh, no, we need more people like the illegals to, to vote in our party because they're losing their domination and their control in a way that they don't want to. So the greater, I think, overall point to this, too, um, just circling back all the way to crypto, mm -hmm. is that we have to, as Americans, understand there is risk associated with liberty, but there's also this really amazing concept of entrepreneurship that we need to champion and foster. And now, does that mean that you need to get involved in crypto? Well, that's your choice. But what you should do with this principle is to maximize where are you encouraging and participating in entrepreneurship, innovation, and advancement of ideas. And ideas are truly what um, everything in terms of the way that we live, understand, and our philosophy, um, that's truly what makes America great. Absolutely. And I think to put it kind of in the words of actually one of my former bosses, Madison Cawthorn, like your home is your castle, right? You have your own kingdom and your ability to ma manufacture it any way you want. Right. And when you allow a larger organization, whether it's the federal government, centralized banking, whatever it may be, to dictate what you get to do, what your family gets to do and how you get to live, you are allowing an invasive force into your life. Mm -hmm. And so it's time for you to to roll up the drop it, bridge to bat down the hatches and and declare that this is your this is your house. This is your life. And these are your choices. And you're going to go achieve. You're not going to let anyone else do it for you. And that's the basis of cryptocurrency and blockchain technology is radical individual freedom. Mm -hmm. And that's what they're seeking to promote. Yeah. And that's what they're seeking. Uh, the, the left is seeking to say, you know, is radical in a negative sense, but we need to harness that term and say, we want radical freedom and we are okay. We are much more the party of diversity than they are. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. Well, thanks, Micah, for coming thanks. on. And this has been a great part two of the conversation. And this has been another episode of the Jenna Ellis show. Before I go, I also want to talk about my good friend, Mike Lindell. He has been canceled out of so many box stores for simply standing up for his own political opinion and disagree or not, uh, or support him or not. 
It is a fundamental right of every American to be able to voice their opinion. And that absolutely includes politics. That absolutely includes uh, issues that are central to our culture. That includes faith. Uh, Mike is such a very sincere Christian, and I am proud to consider him a friend. And he is, of course, a friend of this show. So right now, there is a special on MyPillow.com. Click on the new radio listener specials. Get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including a great towel set, which is a six-piece set. It includes two bath, two hand towels, two washcloths, made in the USA, regularly $109.99, now just $39.99, but you have to use the promo code Jenna. That's J-E-N-N-A. That tells Mike that you listen to this show. You're happy that he is uh, a sponsor of this show and you will get great, great discounts, but use the promo code Jenna. That's J-E-N-N-A, either at MyPillow.com or call one 800 564 8475 and use the promo code Jenna.